The scripture this morning is from uh, Philippians 1, verses 1 through 18. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God for you every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Thanks, Cindy. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here today. Um, we're, we're, we're continuing, actually, uh, in some ways, starting our new series of Finding Joy in the book of Philippians. And what I mean by that is last week, uh, we were looking at Acts uh, 16, um, kind of the founding story of, of the book of Philippi. Um, and then now we're going to get into uh, the book itself, which, which I'm really excited about for a couple of reasons. One, it's an epistle, okay? An epistle is essentially a biblically, biblical scholar's fancy way of saying a letter. Okay, it's one of these letters that uh, these church leaders, very uh, short, shortly after Christ uh, left and returned to uh, heaven, uh, the church was established, and there's a lot of these churches, as they were formed, that the church leaders, Paul wrote the most, uh, wrote letters to. And so uh, I'm looking forward to this because uh, what I'm trying to do um, as we are studying the Bible together as a church is kind of give us a well-balanced biblical diet, if you will. Okay, so if you were here from the beginning, we looked through the book of Mark. We're looking at the life of Jesus there. Uh, and then over the summer, we looked at the Old Testament. That's the big chunk of scripture that leads up to Jesus' life. Uh, we spent all summer doing that. And then now we're going to be looking at one of these letters, one of these epistles that kind of focus on a different kind of nuance of the faith uh, in terms of helping the church understand its role and its mission in the world. Um, so that's what we're going to, so I'm excited about that. Now, I'm also excited about the content, of course, because uh, we're calling this series Finding Joy. And I just, I'm looking forward to this because uh, the more I um, think about it, well, well let's put, what the? <laughs> Every week, I feel like I'm doing a comedy routine with this music stand. Okay, we're going to get to the end of this thing. Uh, so funny. Oh, my goodness. Um, the staff is just laughing at me right now. Um, that's cool. I, th I think we're good, Chris. I think we're good. We'll see what happens. 
All right, we got, we got stereo sermon. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so a major premise of the book is um, joy can be found at all times of life. It can be found at all times. Paul himself, writing this letter from a jail cell, facing execution, says 16 times the word joy or the word rejoice in four chapters of text here. He's saying we can rejoice. There's joy to be found. Um, and the reason why I think that's helpful for us in our culture is I feel like as a culture, we like to project that we have everything together, that everything's okay on the inside, but you don't have to have a lot of conversations, and you don't have to dig all that deep in a, a lot of conversations to find out that under the surface, there's often a lack of joy. And yet Paul says, no, you can find, there's joy to be found. And so I'm looking forward to going through this, this book with you. And actually next week, as we look at the second half of, of chapter one, Paul gets right to probably the biggest thought of them all, and we're gonna, the, the title of that next week's message is Joy in the Face of Death, which, you know, joy, death, how do those things go together? Uh, come back next week. Uh, today, though, as we start this letter, Paul kind of addresses a higher-level thought that I think on the surface, if I was just kind of picking, hey, we're going to you know, do this text this week and this text, and I wasn't going through a book, I don't know if I'd pick this text because the topic is kind of an interesting one that I'm not sure we would, we would think about finding joy in otherwise. And yet it's very helpful, I believe we'll see as, as we move forward. And that is in, in the text, the, the thought is today, finding joy in God's people. Finding joy, in other words, in Christians. Now, I know there's a number of you here today who are like, that can preach. I'm not sure, are you, you know, finding joy in Christians? Help me with that one, David, because that's not been my experience. I know some of you are thinking this because we've had conversations. I know some of you are thinking this because I've had a lot of conversations with neighbors and, 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 and the rest of it. Um, yeah, there's going to be joy to be found in God's people and Christians. Other of you, you might be sitting here thinking, hey, yeah, I've actually, David, it's, it's not too hard to find joy in God's people, find joy in other Christians. Uh, hopefully, that's been your experience here at Current. But to you, I'd say, you know what, that's actually not the people group or people groups that Paul is talking about here in the text, here in chapter 1. Um, while it's true that, you know, we looked at this last uh, series, we we're doing This Is Family, that, you know, we bring our baggage, we bring our personal issues when we become a church family, and we need to work those things out, and there's probably, there's joy that needs to be had there. That's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul is talking about are two groups of folks, one of which are people, or are other Christians who don't see eye to eye with you or don't do things the way that you do them, or don't do them from a perspective or motivation that you think would be all that helpful. Finding joy there. And now I think we can all resonate with this text, perhaps. Um, and then the other people group here, in terms of finding joy in God's people, are people far off whom we may never meet. And we'll unpack that one as we, as we come to it. Uh, let me pray, and then, and then we'll get into the text. Father, again, our hearts and, and minds go out to the, our, our brothers and sisters in the Napa Valley area, and for that matter, down the San Diego area, would you be with them? Would you comfort them? I don't know if they're gathering today. If they are, would they just feel especially close to your spirit now? And would you bring healing and, and help and, and, and most of all, your love through Jesus' name? Father, as we worship you this morning, as we look at your text, uh, would you give us your spirit as, as I teach and as we, as we seek to understand what you have here for us today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so finding joy in God's people. Um, and, and we're going to look at this actually... If you have, if you have uh, Philippians open, 
We're going to look at this uh, kind of in reverse order from the text. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18 first, and then coming back to verses 1 through uh, 11. Um, but finding joy in God's people first, in verses 12 through 18, in people that you don't see necessarily eye to eye with. That you don't necessarily like, you, you question their motives or, or that sort of thing. Paul gets into this, uh, starting in verse 12, and he sa- by, saying, Paul, uh, by saying, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters. Okay, just to pause there for a second. Paul, again, is writing this letter to a church in Philippi, and when he says, now to the matters at hand, he's basically signaling, uh, we're going to get down to business now. Okay, so verses 1 through 11, which we'll come back to in a minute. Salutations, he has some other thoughts that are helpful. But when he says, now, I want you to know, he's saying, okay, guys, here's what's up. Now, have you guys ever done this in, like, your formal communications? Hey, so-and-so, it's nice. Hope you're well. Hope this email finds you well. And I want to talk to you about this. Um, that's kind of what Paul's doing here. And what he's, what he's addressing is the elephant in the living room. And that is this. He's in jail. Paul is in jail. He started the church in Philippi in roughly 51 AD, 52 maybe, and now, six, 10 years later, he's now in jail, and as you could imagine, the Philippian church is freaking out a little bit. Um, you know, he, he's probably in a jail cell in Rome, best we can tell. What had happened is he had just gone out after he, he founded the church in Philippi. He was starting all these other churches, and the authorities didn't really like this, and they, they put him in jail, and as I just mentioned, the Philippian church they're a little bit scared. Now think about this. Uh, it's not new to us sitting here in 21st century America, understanding two millennia of history, uh, how it's worked in the world. Uh, history shows us that when the church is, is persecuted, it actually ends up growing and strengthening and, and, and those sorts of things, spreading. But this early Philippian church has about 10 years to work on. And for that matter, some of these are probably these guys of these churches are probably Christian for just a matter of like a, a short period of time. And now their fearless leader, Paul, who started this whole thing, is in jail and facing the death sentence. You got to figure they're worried. So Paul is no doubt wanting to speak into this, saying, don't freak out. But check this out. His actual aim is much higher than just saying, don't worry. He says at the end of this verse, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Okay, so this is a series, we're looking at finding joy in all things, and we're already starting to see it, right? He's in jail, facing some scary things, and he's saying, guys, it's okay. Don't just not worry about my situation. Rejoice with me that it's actually helping the gospel advance. Now, what's the gospel? This is what we talked about last week. Actually, it's something we talk about every week. Uh, the gospel is literally translated in, 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 as good news of Jesus, that Jesus, the Son of God, came to live the life that we all should have but couldn't and to die the death that, all, that we all deserve, that in his name, when we put our faith and trust in him, we, re- we receive forgiveness of sins and a restored relationship with God forever. In other words, it's the words of eternal life. And what Paul is saying is, guys, if my being in jail, okay, it's, it's a bummer in some respects, but if it's giving people the words of eternal life, Rejoice with me. Rejo- this is a good thing. What had been happening was there was a number of Christians in Rome. Again, Paul was likely in Rome when he was, when he was in jail who had become believers either through Paul or through a couple layers removed over 10 years of churches starting and Christianity spreading. There are a couple groups of people in, 
uh, there, were, there were Christians who had heard that Paul was in jail, and that was spurring them on to share the gospel, okay? They were just like, you know what? We're going to go out and do this. It's, it's, it's kind of scary, but this is an there's a rallying call. Let's go share the gospel. And now we come to the thought of what, where we're getting at uh, with, this, with this thought. Because Paul says there's two kinds of people in this situation. If you look at verse 15, I think it'll be up on the board for you. He says, some of the Christians are going out, they're preaching the gospel out of good hearts. You know, what verse 16 says, they do so out of love knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But then there are also this other group of folks who are doing it with bad hearts, bad motivations. He said, verse 15, these guys do it out of envy and rivalry. Verse 17, they're doing it out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up troubles while I am in chains. That's jacked up. Paul's in there in jail. And again, this is not you know, nice American, I mean, okay, there's no nice jail, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's chained to the ground, likely on his back with a little peephole of like, that's all the light he gets. Facing death, and these guys are, how it can be seen from his perspective is stirring up trouble for him. That's jacked up. And we don't know how this was playing out. What were they doing? Were they like just running up a scorecard? Hey, Paul was able to do this, but we're doing this. Too bad you're in jail, you know? Or were they making it a spiritual maturity issue? Well, he's in jail, but we're over here and listen. Who knows what it was? Probably, you know, but Paul's like, it, check out his conclusion, though. He says in verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I was thinking about it. Uh, in terms of how Paul's perspective, this is just this is mind-boggling to me. Have you ever been in a season where things are just really, really hard for a long period of time? What tends to happen? We become, the, be, uh, we, we become a little bit more raw in our emotions, don't we? I think we become a little less able to be gracious to others, a little less able to be loving to others when they kind of wrong us, even in the slightest of ways. And yet Paul's conclusion is, what does it matter? If Christ is being preached, even though I'm like laying on this floor, this is what we can rejoice for. This is important the, for the Philippian church to hear. Number one, their boy is, is being mistreated. You know, I mean, you got to imagine. They're, they're, by the way, so Rome and then uh, northeastern uh, modern-day Greece, which is where Philippi was, about 550 miles together. They're far away, and they're hearing this. There's not something they can do about it. And they're like, hey, stop messing with our guy. We care about him, and obviously they're worried about his situation. Um, but Paul is saying, hey, guys, actually, this is a good thing that's happening. Christ is being preached. I think the Philippian church needed to hear it. I think the church today needs to hear this for this thought. It's easy for Christians to succumb to pettiness. It's easy for us to succumb to pettiness, that w- to get stuck on things that really in the grand scheme of things don't matter all that much. Now, if you've been in the church for any length of period, you're probably saying amen on your inside. It's really, and you know, I'm guilty of this too. It's really easy to succumb to petty things. Now, Paul is not saying, by the way, don't, don't care or, you know, you know he's, he's not calling out people who are doing immoral things, okay? He's not talking about unethical people. He's talking about people who just are doing it differently or doing it from a perspective that's just a little off. But he's saying if, if the important thing is happening, Christ is being preached, focus on that. That's what's important. Um, you know, I, I recently uh, came across a 
um, an Instagram post, a buddy of mine who's starting a church, or actually started a couple years back, a uh, church up in Montreal. And it was a video blog kind of blurb from a guy named Greg Laurie. Uh, Greg Laurie is, a, is, a, is an author, pastor, um, seems like a cool guy, uh, often is, is holding uh, events where he's talking in front of tens of thousands of people sharing the gospel. And he did this video blog with no bone to pick. He was just kind of giving a pastoral thought that I think really lines up with what we're talking about here. The, the quote should be on the screen for you. So he said this, I've discovered that often those who complain the most do the least, and those who do the most complain the least. I've met people who think that they, that they have like some spiritual gift of criticism. I hate to break it to you, but no such spiritual gift exists. In fact, instead of being a part of the problem, we should all try to be part of the solution. It's very easy to take shots at people who are doing things for God. You know, sometimes people are critical over our evangelistic events. And my response is, well, you know what? I like the way we're doing it better than the way you're not doing it. It's not that we do everything perfectly, but let's do what we can while we can. So instead of critiquing, complaining, get out there and do what you can for the glory of God because nothing is ever wasted if it's done for the God's glory and the extension of his kingdom. And he finishes by saying, hey, it's something to think about. And you should have seen my buddy's comment feed of like amens. Uh, and the church said amen. Uh, we can so easily get into pettiness. You know, it's interesting, kind of like a, a removed example here. Growing up, uh, the big thing that a lot of churches were complaining about in the 80s of all things, early 90s too, was, uh, was having drums in churches. Are you guys familiar with this? It was a big thing. We kind of laugh at this now, but that was, people, you can't have drums in church. We had a cajon today, so we're, you know, we're good. Um, you know, I mean, seriously, it, it, you could, you would imagine all the conversations, even as a little guy, I'm just listening in and hearing, uh, you know, the materials that were, people were talking about this, you can't have drums, it's just, we laugh about that now, but it was distracting so many folks from what really mattered. Look, churches are so susceptible to this. Church startups are really susceptible to this, in, 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 the, in the interplay there. Um, you know, I've have, I have a buddy. I have a buddy who uh, is starting a church down in San Jose, and he went out, and he, uh, somebody said, hey, I want to get together with you, and oh, cool, okay, got together, and said, hey, we're starting a church, he said, yeah, I know, uh, I just want you to be clear, this is the pastor of an established church, I just want you to be clear, this is now a competition, and I'm like, listening, like, what, and the guy's like, don't worry, that's not the norm, and I know that's not, but it's just like, it's like, are you serious, like, that's interesting, but you know, more on a more positive side of things, I went to, uh, actually this last week, I went to a, a pastor's gathering of folks on the peninsula searching down to Sunnyvale, about 15 pastors around this table. And uh, the guy who was facilitating this group said, hey guys, okay, what this group's about is relationships. Encouraging one another. Let's not share our, like what we're doing at our church, like, you know, mission so that we, you know, we feel bad when we can't do it or that kind of thing. He's just like, Let's, this is about pouring into each other and having relationships. And he said, and I want to say this to you guys who are starting churches. We are for you. We are for you. Collectively here, we are for you. And I was just sitting here like, that is, first of all, that was, that was really humbling and impressive to hear. But I just so respected that because you're speaking into a thought there. You know, from our angle, you know, as a church started, and if you've been here from the beginning, you've, you've probably heard me say this, but this is why this thought here that we're looking at here, this is why it's so important that as we start current and as we continue to build on current, we, we, we never want to be kind of like anti-other people in our posture. Does that make sense? There's a real strong temptation as you're starting something new to say, and we're not doing it that way. You, you following me? 
But I don't want to do that because as soon as we do that, and you know, if, if I do that, when I do that, forgive me, help me. But when we do that, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're, perpetu- we're, we're, we're succumbing to pettiness. And we need to focus on what God is doing and not get sucked up into it. It's so easy to attend a church and be like, oh, I'd never do it that way. Or I can't believe how they spend money on that. I can't, you, you know what I'm saying? It's so easy. It's so easy. And, and Paul is saying, look, it'll do yourself and everybody a lot better if we just focus on the importance. Is Christ being preached? As if he is. That's amazing. If you look at this from that perspective, this is amazing. And so we can rejoice. Now, verse 18, he says, because of this, I can rejoice. That's such a freeing thought. You know why that's a freeing thought to me? We all, all churches, all people, Christians not excluded, we have blind spots. Do we not? We're all broken. We all see things a certain way, and we like to think we all have it all figured out, and our way's better. The fact of the matter is, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, falls, you know, smacks that thought in its face. Jesus came for everybody, starting with Christians. We all need Jesus' help, and, and if the more we embrace, you know, we don't have it figured out, but hey, let's just focus on Christ being preached. There's joy to be found there. I don't know about you, but that's a freeing thought. And by the way, when other folks don't quite get that, you could say, you know what, I need Jesus too. They need Jesus just as much as I do. Here's how I've been thinking about this practically. Um, one, I want to be praying for our sister churches in the area. They might do things differently. I want to be praying for them. And then number two, I want to be speaking about them to the extent I can in God-honoring ways. You know what I mean? Um, those are just some thoughts for me. But higher level, um, um, there's joy to be found in, in God's people, even when they don't see it quite right or the motivations might be off. Again, Paul says it is better that the folks are doing it out of love. It, it, you know, he's not saying don't have a good motivation. We want to do that. But he's saying even when it's off, there's joy and there, there can be love had there. Uh, second thought, there's joy to be found in God's people who are far away, and you might never meet. You or I might never meet. What do I mean by this? Uh, we turn now to the first 11 verses. Uh, just So this letter, excuse me, this Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians, and the occasion of the letter is to basically say thank you. Because the Philippian church has been supporting Paul in some unique and, and profound ways. Um, Paul, Paul started a lot of churches, and he wrote a lot of letters, but the Philippian church alone had a special place in his heart because they had a unique role in his ministry for they alone supported him financially. Um, as I mentioned last week, Paul was a, uh, is, was a church starter, and he was doing this with every breath of his body. Everything was bent towards starting new churches and sharing the gospel. Well, there's something interesting that happened. So last week we looked at the founding of 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 the church in Philippi in Acts 16. Something interesting happens in Acts 18. So very quickly, like kind of said in one verse, uh, 18, chapter 18, verse 5, but it says, when Silas and Timothy, kind of these guys, um, some of the ministry partners of Paul's, came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying that Jesus was the Messiah. In other words, in that little v- verse, we're told that Paul went from doing it essentially bivocationally, although that's not even true, um, to doing it full-time. What he had been doing was tent-making. You may have even heard that, that phrase described of missionaries. Oh, missionary, that's tent-making. That means that a missionary is living in that part of the world doing something else with their own two hands in order to pay for their needs while they're there living as a missionary. The term came from Paul literally being a tent-maker. He would show up in a marketplace, set up shop, 
try you know, make some, some bucks so that he could spend every other minute talking about Jesus, starting new churches. He was a tent maker. And what happens two chapters after, G- after Paul starts the church of Philippi is a gift comes from Macedonia, which remember is where Philippi is located, that allows him to start doing it full time. Which, think about that. That's an awesome thought. The Philippians enabled Paul, of all people, to spend more time effectively doing what he was already effectively doing. That's a pretty sweet deal. But what happens, and we see this reflected in this letter, is Paul has a very special place in his heart for the Philippian church. You read the rest of Paul's letters. It'll, it'll you know, take a week or two to do it. There's, these are special, heartfelt words that you'll hear. And it's not just because, thank you, Philippian church, I'll take your money. It's that love was driven to action. And he felt that, and he, they felt that there was this unique, listen, listen now to this heart language in, this, in these verses. After saying grace and peace to you from God our Father and, and, and Lord Jesus Christ, that's verse 2, verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So you hear that. He's just, he has this heart connection with the Philippian church. I'm always thanking God for you, I, 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 for, for a partnership from the first day until now. I'm, I'm remembering you in my prayers. It's a beautiful relationship. And specifically how he describes it as is, is in verse 5, it's a partnership in the gospel. So these guys, 550 miles away, are fully invested in what Paul is doing and the love of God moving through what Paul is doing. Guys, as, I, as I've been pr- preparing for this message, uh, you know, I, my heart has been filled with the, the opportunity I get to share with you that this is very much the story of current. Because there are many, many people and churches who have been invested in this startup that we would just not be here if not for God working in them. We're working through them providing for us, partnering with us for the sake of the gospel. People who said, we believe in that mission in the Silicon Valley, and we want to come alongside, and we want to support you in prayer, in encouragement, and financially. There's been so many. Um, you know, for instance, uh, last week, really fun, we had, we had a few people uh, put their faith in Jesus, which, I mean, man, uh, all cards on the table. We are so excited about this. As if there's anything that we long to see is people to find uh, the loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That happened, uh, a few folks put their faith in Jesus this, this week. And I, 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 I was filled with, in these conversations and hearing about it, as, I'm, as I generally am, with, first of all, God, this is so amazing. This is why we're doing this. It's so amazing. Um, but my, my next thought, is almost always, and thank you so much for the people who are not even here but have been thinking and praying for this. I even sent off a few texts saying, guys, you wouldn't believe. And again, I just, I got text after text back saying, that is amazing news. That is wonderful. We are celebrating with you. One guy who is not emotionally effusive, I've used this example about someone else before, he came back with all these exclamation marks, wonderful. Because this is what he and churches have been praying for. I'm actually going to be in a couple of weeks here going to a church in Texas that has been partnering with us from the very beginning. I'm really looking forward to it. 
um, they've been, the, they're, you know, they've, how they're involved with, with Current is such a God story. Cindy and I just happened to meet them at a conference years and years ago before we even thought about starting a church, or that was even on our radar, okay? We went to this, and we went to this conference, and it ended up being a church-starting conference, and we didn't know that. We were actually a little tricked, by the way. I mean, we had some friends who said, no, I'll just go. It's a big church conference. We're like, okay. And they didn't even go. But anyways, we're sitting there. This <laughs> church. I'm serious. I'm not making this up. So Cindy and I were like, well, let's go to these seminars. Went to a number of seminars. Went to this one seminar. We're like, these guys were talking. And we're like, man, these guys are kind of cool. Let's go up and introduce ourselves. So we went up and introduced ourselves. We were walking out of that seminar. And Cindy and I, this is not normal for how Cindy and I have conversation, okay? But we just kind of looked at each other. And we're like, that felt like a God moment. Like, we're not thinking about starting a church. That's like, like years or two, whatever, before starting a church. But we're just like, that was like a Holy Spirit God moment thing. Like 18 months later, after receiving what we feel to be God's calling to start, you know, to, to work with this team and, and start the church and, and you know, uh, building a relationship with them, 18 months later, they're partnering with this church for this mission that we're reaching. So I'm getting ready to go visit them. I've actually been out there two times now. Um, this sweet church. Uh, they're, they're quite large. Um, but I, I'll, I'll be walking through. This has happened both times I've been there. It's no doubt going to happen again. Uh, I'm walking through the halls, and I run into a, a random church attender. Okay, so not a, not a staff member, not a pastor. not no. and, and they'll always just kind of like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll get to talking to them. And they'll just ask me about my story, our story, and you know, I'll share a story or two in there. You guys, I mean, some, sometimes they're moved to tears like, that is so awesome. We are so, we've been praying for you. We've been thinking about you. This is a church that's, that's partnering with probably about 30 church plants across the U.S., all in areas that are not known for being terribly churchy. Um, and I'm sitting there, like, talking with somebody random, and I'm like, how many more, quote, random people does this person represent in terms of who's been thinking about each and every one of us here? It's just like, that is God's goodness. That is God's goodness. Guys, I long to be like the Philippian church. I long to be like the Philippian church. The Philippian church got to be a part of what Paul was doing, which, oh my goodness, to be a part of that, we'll, we'll pa- unpack that in a little bit. But I long to be a church like that. That is saying, you know what? We want to partner with what God is doing. Look, do we need to pay the bills here at Current? Yeah, but I don't want that to be our end goal. I don't want our end goal to be self-sustaining. I want our end goal to be partnering with future, future gospel works with new churches that are starting and investing in uh, uh, areas that are affected by tragedy or whatever, helping the needs, the tangible needs. Um, for instance... You know, a lot of you guys, you, well, if you were here well, uh, last Christmas, we took a special offering. Cindy talked about it earlier, the Impact Initiative. Um, that I- Impact Initiative has helped us. Even, by the way, when we're just getting started, this is like, okay, God, you're going to have to show up. Because, I mean, recently we just, I, I shared with you guys, we've, we've moved from being more externally uh, uh, funded to a little bit more internally funded, which is awesome. We're excited about it. But in the beginning, we were just like, well, we, we feel like God's calling us to help others and serve others so let's be about that and see just trust God with all the rest so we did that and you know because of your guys giving we were able to with help with getting some some generous gifts 
to women who've been affected by human trafficking in this area. We put together the, the homeless kits. A lot of you guys know about that. You guys were out there serving in that. Harvey uh, disaster. We had a sister church who we asked them if their needs, and the guy sent us back a video that he had just taken with, with people literally being s- rescued off their rooftops by helicopters. They were like, let's, let's help there. We sent $3,000 there. We, we're getting ready to send the rest of what we have in that uh, fund to Napa to serve them. We want to we wanna mobilize, as you hear we're saying. Well, look, we, do we have this all figured out? Do we have, are we having the impact that we want to hopefully? No, we're just putting our foot in the ground saying, you know, from the very beginning, we want to be about that. We want to we partner with what God is doing and trust that he's going to take care of all the things so we can be a part of that. We want, I, I just I long to be the Philippian church. Um, you know, it's interesting to me. You know, it says the, Philippia, the, the church in Philippi, if you were here last week, when, he founded the, the, when Paul founded the church, it described to Philippi as the leading district city in, uh, of the colony there. The leading city of the district because it was very influential. It had trading routes that it was on that, sep- that, that connected Europe and Asia. It had a, a rich diversity of people, uh, ideology, business. Starting to sound quite similar to Silicon Valley. Wouldn't you say? It's interesting to me that right now, at least in the U.S., there are a lot of folks, and this is also true of current, there's a lot of churches in the U.S. that are from Texas or the South that are really dry. They're the Philippian-type churches right now, which is awesome. Now, there's a lot of churches, just so you know, in that area that aren't doing that. So, okay, but we're going to honor them. We're going to love them. But my, po- uh, my bigger point here is there's a big movement of folks, at least right now, in history right now, that they're really starting churches. They're really sending tons of relief efforts. They're doing that. Here's what I'm saying. We can rise up. As we think about this as a generational thing and as a regional thing, we can do it. But you know what? It's going to have to take us swimming against the current, as we like to say. Did you know that according to certain measures, we are the richest part of the U.S. while also being the most miserly with almost last in per capita charitable giving? That should shock us. That should, dare I say, shame us. As a church, we can lead out in loving and serving others. But it's going to take us swimming against the current. You know, as we do this, by the way, when it comes to the impact initiative, uh, we're getting ready to do an, imp- uh, we're going to do that again this, this year, and we're going to set a higher goal, and it'll be fun, we'll pray, and we, we, we invite you to be a part of this, we'll, we'll do it around Christmas, that if you feel so led, you know, over and above your, your tithes and offering to give to this, we're going to, we want to, we want to set ourselves up to have an even, even greater impact as we go forward. But, you know, as I, as I, I want to throw in one more thought before we conclude, because, uh, there's so much here, and we can't unpack it all. But what Paul is saying is as we do this, as we partner for the sake of the gospel, something actually happens within us. Something profound happens with us. Joy is a part of that, but we're also built up. You know, it says, I thank God for this partnership. And he says in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who, had, uh, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Why? Because they're partnering with him. He goes on in verse 9. And this is my prayer, 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, there's a lot say, said there. We can't unpack it all, but let me summarize this thought with this, with, with, with this thought. He's saying, as we partner with God in these ways, being confident at the day of completion, and here's my prayer, here's how it plays out. As he's saying that, we grow. We are built up. Which, does that sound familiar? We just talked about this a couple weeks. This is on every page of the Bible. As we love, as we bless, God blesses us, but that's not the point that we receive. But check out, check out, just, just real quickly, how he, how he grows in us. And I'm so glad that I, had, I have the opportunity to kind of look behind what these English words are saying because I never would have, maybe some of you would have seen this, I never would have seen some of the power of what's being said here if, if not for that. Verse 10, he says that so that you may discern what is best. That word best, I was like, what does that mean, best? Like best? The word literally means, in the original language, what's of most value and worth. What is most excellent? What he's saying is that you will begin to focus on the things that matter most in life. I bet that resonates with a few of us here, all of us here. None of us want to get to our deathbed and have all these regrets. And we all know the stories of getting to the end of life and saying, man, this is what I lived for. Man, I wish I'd spent more time here. Paul is saying that when we live for others in the ways that we've been talking about, it has a way of fashioning us to understand what's of most value. And then he says, so you may be pure and blameless. Pure. Again, I, I wouldn't have seen this just in the English, but the, the word behind it literally means being honest and straightforward in attitude and speech. It builds up our character. That seems to make sense. As we're looking to others, we're built up. And then blameless. He's talking about not just causing uh, another person to, not causing another person to stumble. What you're hearing is, is as we serve to love others, our hearts follow and we become more the people who, by verse 11 kind of summarizes, are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It seems no coincidence to me that when I go to that church in Texas, I find random people walking down the aisles who are loving, current, who aren't letting me ask a single question about them, not as jerks, just in terms of their heart posture, and they're just thinking about other people. It doesn't seem coincidental to me. Would that be the case if people walked in at current? That's not to make us feel guilty, but you hear what I'm saying. Their church is bent towards loving and serving others. No wonder average person walking, average, random person walking through there is so bent on loving others. Uh, there's this book uh, that, was, that came to my attention this week uh, called Give and Take. Have you heard of that book? Give and Take is kind of, um, it, the, the tagline is why helping others drives our success. It's a really popular book right now. I came across, uh, so the, the premise is as we give to others, uh, we actually, it'll help us get ahead in life. Um, there's, there's, it, it talks all about that. One reviewer put it this way, Give and Take is, truly, is a truly exhilarating book, the rare work that will shatter your assumptions about how the world works. But the Bible has already shattered that. <laughs> Going back from the very beginning, God said this is how you're designed. And not give so that you can get, a be you can, you can get ahead for your your success, but give so that others can receive. And God will work out us individually and as a church. But posture yourselves to love and take care of others. And, of course, 
uh, this, will come, this will bring the righteousness that comes through Christ. This is the way how this all works. Jesus Christ gave so that we could all receive. He gave his life on the cross so that we could all receive life in his name, laying down his life that we can have life. He also gave us his people. And some of those people, they don't see things eye to eye with you or me, and we went with them and all that sort of thing. But you know what? Because of his death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, we have the power of forgiveness of sins to say to those people, you know what? We love you because we don't have it together either. That's why Jesus came for us too. And we're going to focus as we can on Jesus. And then he also gave us folks who are praying for us, praying for you, praying for me. We'll never meet. We'll never meet, but are so invested here. And I think by implication, man, wouldn't it be great if we became that church, even as we take small steps towards that? Um, this just gets me really excited because, uh, you know, God's people is definitely, definitely an interesting bunch, as all people are, but because God is a part of the equation, uh, there's much joy to be found. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you that you give us others. Thank you that others put up with us even when we get it not quite right. Thank you for the forgiveness that people extend to us, your people. Help us to extend love and forgiveness to others. Thank you that we get to focus on the book of Philippians and consider a topic that we might not otherwise just kind of think about, people who don't see things eye to eye with us, people who are far away. But thank you so much for your word and how it points us to Jesus and your, and, and your love through him and the people you've put around us. Again, Lord, our heart goes out to those in Napa. Would you, would you be with them? Would you protect them? Would you help not just us as a church, but many churches? It seems like you're doing it, as I look at my feed, uh, rallying around this. Lord, may we be a church, capital C church, of many local churches that are just lifting your name up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.